You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Israel, who has fallen away, who is in exile, who has abandoned me, am I able to restore them according to the covenant that I've given them? Am I able to restore you in the dead areas of your life? Can these bones live again? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Safe answer. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear, what the word, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath, or that spirit, enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and these bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons in the flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now listen to this. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath. From the four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as they commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And this is what I want to declare to you today is this. We serve the God who is able in in one day to change a nation. We serve a God in one day is able to take the situations in the dry areas and the dead areas of your life and bring life to them. But it was not until Ezekiel looked and God commanded him. He said, prophesy unto the Spirit to come. Now here is the thing about the Holy Spirit. And this is something that you need to understand because it's referenced to in the New Testament. And Jesus said it, the wind blows where it wants, right? So the movement of the Holy Spirit does not come as you expect oh man this this is this is really good and so when you're inviting God to reverse to change to break the things in your life to bring life to the dead areas you must invite the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit comes you are not in control he will move He will move. He will move. He will move. And when you say, I believe that you can do things that I cannot understand, I believe that you can reverse the things that have been built up in my life over years and years and decades and decades where I destroyed my life. But God, if you are calling me into a new day, then you are the one who is able to turn the dead into life. Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come. Oh. So let's just take time to do that, okay? All right. Let's just close our eyes. I'm so amazed. You'll hear some testimonies uh, tonight, I hope, from some people where over this 21 days this has been happening. Oh. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. First, we set our hearts in a place to believe that Jesus, with you, nothing is impossible. 
So begin to expand our hearts to receive the suddenly, the miraculous, the supernatural. Specifically, Lord, in those areas of our life that we look out and we say they are dead. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to begin to reattach, Lord, dreams, prophetic words, promises back to the spirit of the folks in this room. And now what we ask, Holy Spirit, is that you breathe on these as you would. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Come and blow. Come and blow. Come and blow, Holy Spirit. And bring life, bring life, bring life. Suddenly, now, now, now. Just right where you are. If you're in that place, you just receive that. Say, Holy Spirit, you come and move as you would. Come and move as you would. I don't need to understand. I don't need to be in control. But you come and move. We honor you. Come and break addictions. Come and set new hope and new life. Come and free people. Come and heal bodies. Mm, thank you, Lord. Mm, come and restore. Come and restore relationships that are dead. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Let us begin to hear the rattling of bones being joined together and tissue and ligament being added to them, and flesh being thrust upon those ligaments and those muscles, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, let there be a breath that enters in, and a new hope, and a new hope, and a new hope, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. Thank y'all. All right. So I'm going to just dig into the second part, so you might get three messages today, so definitely take notes. Open up your Bibles to John 15. We're going to cover 1 through 16 today. <clears throat> There's at least two guys in this room that are probably getting angry with me as I jump into this, but that's all right. It's a joke. We're going through the Gospel of John starting next week, and we had planned to cover this further down, but I'm, I'm jumping the gun, so sorry, guys. All right, I want to talk to you about abiding in Jesus, and here's why. Because this idea, I, I've been in many fasts before, and I know some of you have as well. And, and, but this fast to me was special in this sense, is that I did not want it to end. I did not want the time that I was spending with Jesus to end. The intimacy, the, 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 just the abundance of who he is being poured out in my life, I did not want that to end. And so... As I was meditating on this, I felt like the Lord dropped this in my heart, and I want to share this with you. Jesus talks about this. In John 15, 1 through 8, we're going to start here. I want to read this to you. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and, it is, and it is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you, for by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. 
I just want to give you just, here's what I want to do today in this, in, in this part of the message, is I want to give you kind of a 30,000 foot view so that we understand some of the language that Jesus is using here and the importance of it. Then I want to talk to you about what abiding with Jesus produces. So I want to encourage you, if you're going to take notes, specifically when we get to the part of what abiding in Jesus produces, make notes. Make notes, okay? Write these down. So the 30,000 foot view here, what Jesus is really saying, Jesus is using a language that his disciples would, would, would recognize as something. When he, he referenced the vine, they would have heard this as being referred to as Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, there's several areas, several passages. I'm going to give you just two where, where, where God likens Israel to a vine. And this is significant as to what Jesus is saying that I'm going to bring back around in just a second. But I want to read these to you. And primarily because, now listen to me, and this is important that we do not talk enough about. But we need to set our prayer and our devotion on Israel. Friends, listen. I'm telling you this so that we pray and we bless Israel, that we bless Jerusalem, that we love that. Why? Because it speaks of the covenant. Now let me stop and say something concerning Israel. If you've ever doubted God, if you've ever said, is God real? All you need to simply do is look at Israel. Why? Because Israel has withstood the Romans, the Greeks, the Holocaust, and this tiny nation that is almost the size of New Jersey, that is surrounded by enemies, God has, has covered and protected. Why? Because of covenant. So what does that say? That that which God creates, that that which God covenants, he protects. Right? Okay. So why do we pray for Israel? Why do we pray for Jerusalem? Why? Because we are in that covenant, friends. All right, all right, all right. So the disciples would have recognized this in Psalm 80, 89. This is what it says. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and filled, and it filled the land. Speaking about Israel, the nation that God was forming when he redeemed the Hebrews out of Egypt, rescued them and redeemed them for that purpose. Use the prophet Jeremiah to speak words of warning over them. Listen to what he says. Yet I have planted you a noble vine, speaking of Israel, a seed of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the denigrate plant of an alien vine? So why is this important? Because the first thing that I believe Jesus wants us to see pertaining the importance of abiding in him is that it secures the picture of covenant. It secures the picture of covenant. When God created covenant, often there is a metaphor of some type of wood that is attached to that covenant. Whether it be a tree, a leaf, a bush, cedar, a branch, or a vine. And in Hebrew, the word that is used for these words is similar. It's the same. Where we differentiate it in Hebrew, it is, it, is, it is all within the same family. And so this metaphor of a vine or a branch or a tree symbolizes covenant. Let me give you some examples. Of course, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, what do we see? The tree of life, right? 
We see that as a sign of the covenant. When Noah, when God set Noah apart and he asked him to be a sign of redemption, what did he do? He said, build an ark. What was the ark made of? Gopher wood. What does the ark tell us? It's a picture of Christ, of salvation, isn't it? It's God's covenant. And then when it came time for them to, the, 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 the Lord receded the waters off the earth, and Noah was sending out birds. He finally sent out a dove. And what came back in the dove's mouth was an olive leaf or an olive branch. In Genesis 8.11, it tells us this. Shortly after, this was the thing that preceded the covenant that God set and spoke to Noah and said, No longer will I destroy mankind. And as a sign, I send you a rainbow that we would see. Every time we see a rainbow, we remember the covenant that God cut with Noah, his love for mankind. But it began as his picture with wood. With Moses, what do we see? The burning bush. In Exodus 3, that God spoke to him and called him forth and told him that he was going to use him to redeem his people. Something that was prophetically spoken to Abraham 400 years earlier. God spoke through a burning bush. It's a sign of covenant. And then when God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle, the place where he would dwell, the Ark of the Covenant was made of Achaia wood. The place where he would dwell. When David, in 2 Samuel 7, toward the tail end of his life, God asked David to build him a house of cedar. He asked him this question. It's kind of hilarious and powerful at the same time. He looks at David and says, you've got a house, but I don't have a house. And I want to tell you that there's something way more important than what we read on the surface with that of saying God is getting a little jealous. No, no. What he's saying is this, is that I want to abide with my people in every one of these pictures where the metaphor of wood is being used in some form or fashion symbolizes the covenant which points us to salvation and redemption. And so it's no different when we read John 15. And we see here that Jesus refers to himself as the vine. Of course, we see the ultimate redemption coming through the picture of the cross, a wooden stake where Jesus died on that sealed us into the new covenant. And so this would not have been lost on the disciples as they heard it. And it shouldn't be lost on us. The takeaway for us today is to understand as Jesus invites us to abide with him in the same way of using the metaphor as the vine and the branches, what he's saying to us is that this is how you are going to live in the, in the fullness of the covenant. And so often, and here's, here's, the, here's the truth, so often we forget that. We forget that in the same way that Jesus uses the language. Hey, if a branch breaks off of its source, it no longer produces life. It doesn't produce fruit anymore. But if, if we take a look and invite the Holy Spirit to look into our lives, sometimes we see that that's kind of the way we live. And we might ask ourselves or wonder sometimes, why don't we experience the fullness of the covenant? Because this to experience the fullness of the covenant, we have to abide, stay connected in him. Second, Jesus is making a stark contrast in the departure from the source of Israel's security. He's looking at the disciples and wanting them to understand that, the, that there's something, a major shift that's happening. No longer are you secure just under 
the knowledge that you have been born into a nation, into a people. It's not enough to just be, feel like your redemption comes because you are a Jew or an Israelite. Instead, you must put your trust, your faith, abide in me. And I believe this, that our takeaway is this from that. And why we need to understand the fullness of this scripture. Take this 30,000 foot view to look down to understand the, the bigness of the scripture is this. Is that sometimes we embrace that mentality too. Why do we need to experience Jesus every day? Why do we need to push into his presence? Why do we need to hunger and thirst for him? Why? Because sometimes we think that we're simply just okay because it's what grandma did and mom did and now it's what I do. Sometimes just subconsciously even we just take this approach and say just because we live in a God-fearing a part of the, the nation because we still say prayer on Friday nights at the football game and, and it's okay for us to talk about church at school. We're okay. But friends, if I can be just prophetically direct with you, that is not enough. <laughs> I know that stings a little bit and it's not, I'm not trying to make it sting but I'm just... This is the truth of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, watch your, your source of sufficiency because the hearers, the disciples, the people that heard this would have said, what are you saying? That you're the, you're the vine. What are you saying? No longer is Israel the vine. We're not safe because we're just children of Israel. No, you must be born again. And when you're born again, you must abide in him. All right, okay, let's keep going. All right, so this is where I want you to take notes. What is the purpose of abiding in Jesus? There's just a couple of things that I see here I want to give you. The first thing that we see is pretty direct, to bear fruit. To bear fruit. Write that down. Why does Jesus want me to abide in him? What is it going to produce? I've been called to bear fruit. I'm to bear fruit. I can say it even more directly and say, say it like this. That only in Jesus can you bear fruit. You're not going to bear fruit by yourself. It's the desire of God that we're always moving forward, growing in the knowledge of him, producing life. There is not a neutral position in, in faith. As a matter of fact, this is the only way that our Christian journey makes sense. And I don't think we say this enough. Is that it's, it's not okay just to, just to draft. It's not okay. It's not okay. Instead, we need to be growing. We need to be growing. Again, being a little direct, we're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. Okay? And this is what Jesus is saying. And this is why some of that language in there, if we look at it, sometimes it offends us. If you're not embodying me, then basically you're firewood. Whoa, hey, that's not nice, Jesus. We don't like that. We do not like that. And again, that has implications to Israel as well. But here's what I want you to see and understand is that there's just, we're, we're either moving forward or we're moving backwards here. But this is the place in which our Christian journey makes sense. This is the place where we receive the most joy and the most fulfillment when we are bearing fruit. So what, what type of fruit does Jesus desire to bear in us? Just a couple of things, and this isn't, this isn't exhaustive here, but a couple of things I want you to think about and ask yourself. The fruit of the Spirit, we read in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, or faith. 
We need to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because in the same way that you walk up to a tree and you see what type of fruit is on it, you know what type of tree it is, right? A tree that doesn't produce fruit, you might be confused unless you're some a biologist, you know, or you're, you're, you're rooted in horticulture. You might be like, yeah, I know what tree this is. But me, if I don't see a tree, it's a fruit tree and there's no fruit on it, I'm a guess. I'm going to be like, that's an apple orange tree. I don't know. Take your pick. That was a little funny. All right. Okay. So that denotes what we're connected to. And so God desires for us, Jesus desires for us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And this is why we abide in Him. We also want to, want to bear the fruit of obedience. In John 15, 10. It says this, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Part of the fruit that Jesus desires for us to bear in our life is the fruit of obedience and faith. That we would begin to do the things that he has asked of us, he's called us to do. Now before that sounds, and a lot of times I understand that we live in a culture where we don't like to be told what to do. As Americans, we are rather independent and strong-willed, and that's okay But here's the thing, when it comes to abiding in Jesus, we are called to do what he has asked us to do. That we must conform into his will. He's not conforming into our will. We must conform into his will. But the promise that Jesus gives with doing his commands is this. He looks at us and says, listen, my commands are not burdensome. And when we step back and we, and we realize, if we were to truly take an inventory of our life and go, when I choose to follow my own plan and my own desires, at the end of the day, that might seem like freedom, but it becomes a burden. It becomes a burden. It becomes too heavy for me to carry. But in reality, if we were to look at the times that we chose to be obedient to God and to follow what he's asked us to do, whether it be to love or to forgive or to go, whatever it might be, to speak, to be still, that what we find is that those commands bring life to us. And so when we choose to walk in the fruit of obedience, which is the fruit of faith, then that brings us freedom. And then finally, I believe that God wants us to, to walk in the fruit of following his calling. That each one of you have something that God has specifically, that Jesus has specifically graced you with, that he has asked you to do, he's called you to do. And it's significant and it's powerful on whatever level it manifests on. We talk about this a lot, and I'm going to talk about it a lot more. But the things that God has called us to do, what I'm doing up here is like a fraction of 1% of what God needs done in the body. Okay? Y'all didn't need to amen at that. Come on, that hurt, right? <laughs> like, No, it's a little bit more. It's like 1.5%, Pastor. All right? No, 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 no. I'm being silly. And, and whether that comes out in the way you encourage, your gift of encouragement, the grace that Jesus is putting you, or, or some of you have, again, we talk about this and we throw bigness out there and we're not afraid. That's one of the things we put in this church is that some of you guys are called to go do things. There's, there's things that are in your heart to, to maybe to, to reshape a culture, to help people in other parts of the world or in our nation. Some of you have a profound desire to help children. Some of you who are teachers see that as a redemptive calling. 
moms and dads who, who look at their family and say, this is the, the calling that God has given to me. Let me tell you how powerful and redemptive that is. But in order to do that to the fullness of what you've been called to do, you must abide in him. You must abide in him. That is a fruit that he desires to produce in you. Okay, the second thing. So the first thing is to bear fruit. The second thing is to learn how to abide in him. I found myself over this 21 days of prayer and fasting is asking the Lord to teach me how to pray. I've grown up in the church. I went to Bible school. I've been a minister most of my life. And I found myself in these 21 days asking God to teach me how to pray. Because I believe that we need to understand how to abide in him. So what does it mean to abide? Jesus said this, my words abide in you. I want to bring this principle to you and and, and set it in front of you and, and see how you feel about it. When he speaks and says my words, that word is the word rhema. Specifically, the things that Jesus taught. And the purpose of the word rhema in Scripture is this, is that it is an intimate principle. And it means this, that it's not something that starts here. It's something that starts here. Okay, so, so just so you know, some of you have heard this before, but there's, there's different ways that we receive. When you go to school, most of the time, if you're like me, you receive it here, right? And so that's why you cram, because you got to get all that information right before a test. you got to bring it all back up. you got to get it in your mind like a list so that you can check off the boxes and answer the questions. Some of it might sink down and you might see it as a powerful principle. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, he doesn't just speak to hear. He speaks to your spirit. And so the word rhema, the context of the word rhema is this. It's spirit to spirit. It's from the Holy Spirit to your spirit. And so when Jesus said this in John 15, he said, my words will abide in you, is this, is that you're going to have an intimate relationship of what I'm saying. It's going to begin to affect you. It's going to begin to shift you. And the reality is this, is that because this is an intimate principle that exists in our spirit, that the things that are birthed in our spirit become life. Not everything that's birthed in your mental ascent becomes life. It can be useful knowledge, but oftentimes it's not retained. Tell me, if you are over the age of 50, what your algebra algebra teacher taught you in the ninth grade. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm not even 50, and I can't tell you, right? I, I don't remember. But tell me about the last time God spoke to you. Tell me what God deposited in your heart 10 years ago. Tell me about your salvation experience. Tell me about when you felt the closest to God. Tell me about when God spoke to you in the middle of a hard time. Those things last. Why do they last? Because they are rhema. They are in the spirit. And so Jesus says this to abide. When you abide with me, I'm not asking you to come and mentally approach me. I'm not asking you to come into to dwell in me through mental ascent. I know you're the Savior. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm supposed to spend time with you. He is saying this, that I desire to intimately meet with you. And to abide means it's a principle of intimacy. From the place of the Spirit is where fruit grows in us. 
And this means, I believe in a practical sense, that abiding in Jesus means that we're giving him the first fruits of our attention and our devotion. If you want to learn how to abide in Jesus, then he's got to be first. He's got to be first. That we have to begin to give him the first fruits of our devotion and our attention. It means that Jesus becomes our filter. And I think that if we're honest, I know at least in my life, I'll be honest, that this sometimes is a struggle for me. Sometimes what I filter, even my relationship with God on, is my past experiences. Or some of the things that I might see on the earth. And sometimes, even sometimes, there's wrong thinking. And so when Jesus becomes our filter, this means that we begin to rely on him as truth. And these other filters have to go. There needs to be a healing and a cleansing that takes place. Friends, listen, that if you want to abide with Jesus, if you want to begin to, to share a place of, of, of intimacy where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you receive it in your spirit, you have to sometimes let go of your past experiences, the pattern of this world, and you absolutely have to let go of wrong thinking. Of wrong thinking. But listen, To let go of these things, this is something that Tiffany said that's really important. God doesn't look at you and say, get your stuff together, clean yourself up. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'll free you. I'll I'll, I'll clean out the shed. I'll fix it. But we stay in that place when we make Jesus our filter. This has a spiritual and a practical application. The spiritual application is this. In our hearts, we have to make a a space to connect. And one thing I invite you to pray, if if this is a a desire of your heart to abide with him in a deeper way, is just to to pray and say, God, would you begin to expand my heart? Would you begin to expand my heart to receive more of you? Would you begin to connect my mind into the truth of who you are, Jesus? Would you begin to open my eyes so that I can see you? Holy Spirit, would you give me ears to hear? Would you correct and and direct my mouth to speak the truth of what you're saying? And as we begin to create space spiritually and say, God, I desire for you to move. I don't have an agenda. I don't have a plan. I just want to abide with you. What we're saying is you get to move. You get to decorate. You get to plan. You get to be in control. Your spirit begins to, gets to fill me. But then there is a practical application of this. Is that we have to set time aside to stay connected. Now here is a couple of things that we, we need to do. And this needs to be done on the daily. Is that there needs to be a time in our life where we set aside to spend time with God. I would suggest, but it's, it's absolutely not mandatory, it's not obligation, that you set aside the first part of your day to spend time with God. Whether that's just a few minutes or, or 15 or 20 or an hour, depending upon what you have. But I promise you it will begin to set your heart in the right place. A second area we've talked about already today is that small groups are a great place to connect in that. Well, what does that mean? How, how is that spending time with God? Well, It's amazing the amount of encouragement we get from the Holy Spirit as we choose to connect into these small groups. I can promise you, speaking just the small group I was involved in this last semester, the men's group, is that if I walked in and my battery was feeling a little low, when I walked out, 
I typically felt recharged and full. And it wasn't because I got to see some of my good friends. It was because of the encouragement that was being shared. It was because of the prayers that were being prayed over one another. It was because of the love that was being expressed toward one another. It was because we were pointing each other to Jesus. And this is not a, this is not a marketing thing for our small groups. And I want you to hear me, and I mean this with, with just... 100% purity. If you don't like any of the small groups that are being offered back there, go find a church. I can give you a name of a few churches that might have a small group for you. Go get connected in one. You will grow. You will grow. It's how we abide. When we set time aside, the times of prayer that we've had have been opportunities for us to be connected to set time aside to abide. The third thing is this. The reason why we abide is that we understand and appreciate the times of pruning. And Jesus said this, and again, this is, this is sometimes hard for us to understand, but there's two very important statements about this and why we need to hear this. The first thing that Jesus said is this, is that pruning doesn't mean that you're sinful. As a matter of fact, Jesus looked at him and said, you are already clean because of the word, the words that I've spoken to you. And so sometimes when we think about the pruning of God in our life, what we think about is that, man, we messed up. We did something wrong. And that's not necessarily the truth. More to the lines of what Jesus is saying is this, is that pruning predicates growth as a necessary requirement. That in all of our lives that there is going to be some pruning times in us. And it's so that we grow. And so how does God prune us? How does God prune us? I'll tell you this, that he pruned me during this fast. He uses the specific times that we separate ourselves from the passions of this world. So that we might grow in intimacy with him. That there were times during this fast that I was able to really see myself and some of the things. And I felt God's loving kindness correct me. And put me back into a place of knowing him, of, of knowing his love. We're pruned when we choose to be obedient to the Spirit. There are times that the Holy Spirit is going to tell you something that you feel... Like you don't want to do. <laughs> Laugh a little bit at that. <laughs> All right. Well, how do we know that? Well, Peter and Cornel to Cornelius, right? You guys remember that story in Acts? Peter's taking a nap. This is a simple, oversimplified, flannel board paraphrase. He's taking a nap. God speaks to him and says, eat these unclean things. He's like, you know, of course, Peter. I like Peter. No, not me, Lord. Uh-uh. Mm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good Christian. I ain't going to do that. No, take a knee. Take a knee. All right, Lord. Now, I want you to go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile. At that time, the Holy Spirit was bringing out the revelation into fullness so that the covenant was not just for the Jews, but was for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And all y'all need to say, thank you, Jesus. All right. And so Peter goes to Cornelius. Let me tell you something. Peter would not have done that on his own. But what was the significance of that? Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. God would have got a hold of Cornelius without Peter. 
But Peter needed to have a Cornelius experience to be pruned. Right? Peter needed to understand this, and we see this played out further along the lines when Peter still kind of struggled with this and the correspondence and the, uh, the relationship with Paul, but this kept on getting hit upon. And again, thank you, Jesus, that this was carried out, that we too might be partakers of the covenant. And so when we choose to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, even when we don't feel like it, it begins to prune us and put us into a place where we begin to bear fruit that we didn't think that we could even bear. Oh, man. That's good. Man. Man, I don't know. Listen, I'm talking to me right now, okay? Not you guys, but I'm talking to me is that I need that. I need that. God prunes us sometimes by slowing us down. (laughs) Slowing us down. Backing us up. Causing us to take a pause. And that's hard. That's hard. That he prunes us by slowing down. Slowing us down. God prunes us by saying no. And I I really need to turn the corner into this message because (laughs) I know... We've been talking about things from one angle. I want to get into the better angle in just a second. But this is important. We need to hear this, okay? God prunes us by saying no, by closing doors. Sometimes we want to do, we want to go, we want, we want it, God. It's good, it's good, it's good. But it just simply isn't God. And God, in his loving kindness, and his mercy toward us, he closes the door. If you guys missed last week's message by Pastor Chris on Jonah, you need to listen to it because it embodies this idea Jonah, no, you can't run. No, you have to go, right? There are things in our life that we want to do that God says not yet, not now, or just simply no to. And this is how he prunes us. And the purpose of this, I just want you guys to hear this, is not just his sovereignty, which is just that it's sufficient enough. God can simply say no because he's God, and that should be good enough for every one of us. But he doesn't just do it because he is sovereign. He does it because he is a good father. And his timing is so much better than our timing. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His plans are so much better than your plans, than our plans. Okay? All right. So let's flip the gear for the next 10 minutes. You guys stay with me. John 15. Let's read 9 through 16. Justin, come on up. You can slow roll it. Take your time. Do a swag walk on the way up. Whatever you want to do, man. All right. My wife's giving me that look. I wish, again, I'm going to write two books. It's going to be called The Looks a Pastor's Wife Gives Him. It's going to have illustrations. All right, here we go. All right, she's like, you are going to get knocked out later. I'm coming to church tonight with a black eye, all right? Just know. John 15, 9 through 6. As as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that all your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I have commanded you, that you love one another. Abiding in Jesus perfects his love in us. Abiding in Jesus perfects his love for us. This is what Jesus said. He said, listen, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You do what I have commanded you. And my love is going to grow in you. But here's the key and the connection to this that Jesus brings around full circle that I want us to see. If you want to know how the love of God is growing in you, look at the way you love other people. Look at the way you love other people. And I think it's so significant and so important. And sometimes we separate this in our thinking. Or at least I know that I have. I'm not going to presume this about you. But I say it's one thing for me to know the love of God and to love Jesus. But how I treat other people is different. But Jesus in this discourse right here in John 15 is making it clear that you can't separate these two things. As a matter of fact, if we speak it in reverse, it may, may, it may make more sense. That the way that we love people, that we speak to people, that we treat people, the way that we perceive people, the way we think about people, the way we forgive people, the way we reconcile, is a direct reflection on the depth of the revelation and understanding of the love of Jesus inside of us. Jesus never meant for these two things to be separated. And so when we abide in Jesus, that love is perfected in us. And the reason why it's perfected, and one of the things I believe that Jesus said, and it was a prayer spoken in a form of a message that your fruit would remain, is that the way we see that is when there is a tangible application of the grace that we have been walking in, the revelation of that love that we have been walking in that is seen on our relationships. The way we treat people, the way we're able to forgive the way we're able to rebound, to reconcile, to begin to see the best in people. And friends, let me tell you something. If you need just a check, a checkup on the, the, the way that you're receiving the love of God, look at the way you speak to people. Look at the way you treat people. Look at the tenderness, the compassion, the forgiveness. Again, it's simple, but it's powerful. This is a checkup. But the key is this, that we don't come into this of ourselves, right? We don't become lovely people and treat people well when our soul is wounded, when there's areas of our heart that is, are broken or hurt, or there's been a place of victimization. Instead, what we must do is go to the Father. And this is a principle of abiding, because I'll tell you that there have been areas, at least in my heart, and I love what Amy said up here. 
She said that over this amount of time, she realized like God began to heal her heart. And I, and I, and I see the same thing in my life. And it's the purpose of abiding in him. It's because when we get into that place, there may be things that we know and there's things that we will not know that need to be healed, but God knows and he's able to heal it and that grace comes and begins to heal it. And we know when that's healed because of the way that we treat people, the way that we respond. The next thing that Jesus said in this last discourse that we read is that abiding in Jesus brings us the greatest joy. That it brings us the greatest joy. Why? Because we know his heart and we know his will. And Jesus said it like this. That the revelation that we know his heart and that we know his will is a reflection of this very powerful redemptive truth that God no longer looks at us. He he does not look at us as servants or slaves, but rather as friends, as heirs, as sons and daughters of God. And I want to tell you that this is the greatest joy. Oh, to know, to know that you are loved by God. That Jesus looks at you, not just as Savior, but as friend, as friend. And he backs it up with this. Is listen, the slaves sat outside the room while the masters talked about their plans. But a friend sits at the table as the master discusses his plans and invites them into the opportunity to partake with him in those plans. Oh, what a beautiful truth. What great joy that God invites you to the table to supply you with everything you need and then says, can we plan? He looks at me and says, Andy, I got a plan and here's, this is where I need you. I'm going to give you everything you need to do it. I'm in your corner. I'm going to be right beside you, but I'm choosing to use you because I love you. Because you deserve to be at this table because of what I did for you. And nothing can steal you or take you away from this table. Not not the stuff that that you thought you got messed up in. That's gone. I don't don't even know what you're talking about anymore, Andy. You're sitting at this table because of what I did for you at the cross. And you you deserve to be a part of the plan. And and, and you're a son. You're, You're an heir. You're a friend. And see, listen, when we abide, we live in this this truth. And so often when we don't abide, we come in like a whipped dog into the presence of God. God, I know I don't deserve you. I know I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm sinful. Yeah, it's okay. We, We all blown it. We've all sinned. But deal with it and get over it. Your sin does not define you. If your sin defines you, Jesus died in vain. This is our joy. And the last thing is this, and we're done, I pray. Abiding in Jesus renews our authority in prayer and in faith. Oh, this is great. Verse 16. Because we know his will. And this is only possible when we abide with him because we sit at that table, because we are friends, because his love is perfected inside of us. That we have an authority. And Jesus says it, it says it, and it's, it's challenging, isn't it? It gets us all sorts of messed up. 
that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. Whoa. We go, oh, that's not everything, everything. That's not, no, we got to put some stipulations on that because we're going to run around just claiming everything, right? Oh, yeah. Feathers ruffled, right? Settle down. Settle down, settle down, settle down. You're not selfish when you're abiding. You're not praying your desires and your affections. You are rather praying the desires of the one who brings you into joy and the affections of the one who has redeemed you. <laughs> and let me tell you something. Oh, this is good. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you got the fasting, Pastor, today, all right? I'll have food in my system next week, and I won't be so crazy. All right. I love you all. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Settle down, Andy. Calm down. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It is so much better to pray knowing the will of God than praying out of what you think you need. It is so much better when you are confident in the love of Jesus, when you are walking in the joy of knowing his will because you are a son, a daughter, a friend. And praying in the confidence of the authority that you have at the seat of the table. Because when I'm sitting at that table, he says, Andy, I got you in the plan. Here's what I need you to do. I've resourced you. I look back at him and I say, all right. I believe you for everything that you need me to do. I'm going to do what you have called me to do. God, resource it with the resources of heaven. Help me to see it from the position of the table. When I step out into the world, I want to see it from the position of the table. I don't want to set my eyes on the things of this earth. I don't want to be blindsided or backed up because I'm hit with an opposition or a struggle or a circumstance that I feel like is too great to the plan because I want to be resourced with the plan. I want to be resourced with the resource of heaven. I want to see that, and that becomes my prayer. And what am I praying? I am praying the will of the Father. Oh, all right. Let's pray. Okay. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Lord, I pray, God, that Oh, in spite of my words, Lord, in spite of my words, that Holy Spirit, you sink down this truth as rhema into our spirit, into our hearts, that it begins to change lives. God, that as a people, we would be a people that desire to abide with you, that desire to abide with you. Oh, Lord, you do what you need to do in us, Holy Spirit. Connect us into you. Jesus, we just right now, Lord, for those of us that need to say, God, I've made other things a source, and I'm letting those go, and I want to be connected into you. Holy Spirit, you do that. God, when we come into your presence, we're just going to choose to let you move as you will. We open our hearts, expand our hearts, you prune us as you need to prune us. Lord, for those who are going through a season where it feels like there's some pruning, great, great grace. Holy Spirit, great grace. Whether you're slowing them down, 
whether you're saying no. God, whether you're telling them to do something that they just might not want to do. Holy Spirit, your great grace is your loving kindness. Lord, I thank you, Father, that your love is being perfected in us. Let your love be perfected. I pray for just an honest, pure, holy conviction to come into our hearts. God, if we are not operating in your love toward one another, in our thoughts, in our words, in our responses, convict us, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you heal our hearts. If there are wounds that are preventing us from understanding the fullness of your love, you begin to heal us. Lord, I know that there are people that have been wounded by other people. Holy Spirit, you heal. You heal. You heal. You bring your freedom. You heal them. You heal them. You heal them. And if that's you, just open your heart and say, Jesus, you heal me. This is what it means to abide in you, for your love to be perfected in me. You heal me. Let the fullness of the love of Jesus begin to flow in us and through us. Oh, that you would just begin to heal relationships. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be words of kindness and life and love that are spoken. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, let our joy be complete. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just burn the revelation that we are not slaves. We are not outside, but we sit at the table because you call us friends. Oh, that our joy would be complete, that you would give us ears to hear, God. You would give us eyes to see as we sit at that table that you choose and your loving kindness to include us in your plans. Give us ears to hear your will hearts to understand it. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That we come and we pray from a place of authority, knowing your will. Now, Jesus, I ask in your name that lives be set free so that they can walk in the fullness of abiding you to bear fruit and to walk in their calling. I ask you, Lord, to do the supernatural work Lord, to the dead areas of our life to bring life back around in. Blow, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet, please? Now, as we close this time, I'm going to invite you just as you leave, just to hug somebody, to love somebody, embrace somebody. To tell them, listen, being connected in this fellowship, in this body, helps me to grow in the fullness, to abide in Jesus. Let's spend time just loving one another. I know that's a stretch for some of you. Some of you. But listen, if you need help with that, if you need help with that, I want you to see uh, Brother Ronnie Sasser. Because he loves, he really loves uh, hugging. He will hug yeah, every one of y'all. Did Ronnie leave the room? Is he in the back? Where's he at? He, he's gone. He ducked out. Ronnie, shame on you, man. I'll just see you. All right. <laughs> oh, I love y'all very, very much. I do. Man, I'm telling you, I love this church. I love this church because of y'all. 
I love this church because this is a place where freedom is. It's not just in our name. Hmm, that's a good marker. It's not just in our name. All right. This is a place that loves the presence of God. Father, I bless these people in the name of Jesus. Let your grace shine on them. Let your goodness overshadow them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Look forward to seeing you guys tonight at 6. Have a great, great day.